It's nice to see you today. We've been in a study on spiritual growth that's been based out of the idea of New Year's resolutions. The idea is we want to be a healthy, mature church. Of course, the church is us, it's the people. We're focusing on the things that can help us grow. So my desire, my dream is that a year from now, when it's January 2019, we could look at ourselves and say, you know what? My spiritual walk is stronger today than it was last year. My spiritual maturity, I've grown more than last year. I can see the difference. And those things don't happen automatically, and they won't happen from coming to church on Sunday only. There's additional things that we need to do to really have some health and some growth. And the first week, we focused on the Bible. If we really want to be mature, I've got to read the Bible, meditate on what I've read, maybe memorize a scripture or two. But the more I know God's word, the more I'm going to mature spiritually. But that's not enough. If I really want to mature, as good as it is to read the Bible, you need to do additional things like prayer. You want to have a healthy prayer life. So the second week, we talked about prayer. We looked at the Lord's Prayer and what it talked about. The Lord's Prayer is really, as you read through it, it's saying, God, I give you my love. God, I give you my life. Your will be done. And then it goes on to other things that talk about, God, I give you my worries. I give you my fears. I give you my temptations. We give God a lot of stuff. When we give him our love and life, we also get to give him all that other junk. My resentment, okay, God, I'm going to give that to you. My guilt, God, I'm going to give that to you. My worry, I'm going to give that to you. My fear, I'm going to give that to you. My temptations, I'm going to give those to you. And you actually have a much better life when you develop a good, strong prayer life, and you know how to pray. Because you learn that prayer is not about, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, can I have this? God, can I have that? It's more about what I'm giving God. You don't need to give me something. I'm just going to give you my worries. You don't need to give me a brand new car, but God, I want to give you my resentment. It's more about what we're giving God through prayer. But we talked about that and how if you have a healthy prayer life and you're reading the Bible, your spiritual maturity is going to increase. You're going to be more mature doing that than you are not doing it. But we talked about how that's not enough as well, how you need good, healthy relationships. You need friendships if you're going to grow. We need one another. No one gets very far on their own. The Bible verses, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So there's no lone ranger Christians. What it is is we learn from one another. We're involved with one another. So I ask everybody to make a commitment. And I said, over the next 12 months or in, in 2018, I want everybody here to plan at least one fun event. Just one fun event that you can do that you can invite some people to from the church, specifically connecting with people here, getting to know people here. Just one fun event. What I'd like for you to do is like think, hmm, maybe we'll have a barbecue at our house. And if we have a barbecue at our house, I can invite a couple families over. I think once it gets more than 10 people, some people will be left out. So if you're going to build good, healthy relationships, you have to do fun things together. So you might decide, you know what? I'm not going to invite anybody to my house, but we're going to go out to dinner. And I'm going to invite those six people at the church. If everybody did this, 
you would come away really building solid relationships. And that's the point is you don't grow if you don't have Christian friends. And you need people that love you, that care for you, that will be there for you, that you can talk to. You know what you're going to find out when you do this? You're also going to find out that everybody's peculiar. Everybody is. If you don't think I'm peculiar, you just don't know me well enough yet. But everybody is. And that's part of Christian fellowship is it builds down the walls. Sometimes in a church, you might feel like, well, everybody's trying to be perfect. Well, they might be trying to. But when you get to know them, you find out they're not perfect. They're just like you and me. So it builds health. It's normal people like me that struggle in life, that they're trying to do the right thing, helping each other out, encouraging each other along the way. So if you take the Bible and get it into your life, you're going to grow mature. You're going to mature. If you develop a good, healthy prayer life, you're going to mature. If you get good, healthy relationships going, you're going to mature. But the fourth thing I want to talk about today is about how to invest your life. If you invest your life in the right things, you're going to mature spiritually. A year from now, you would say, I think I'm more mature spiritually than I was last year. When I think about investing my life, that word invest, the first thing that comes to my mind is investing money. I don't know if you get these uh, letters in the mail from LendingTree or different companies, and everybody wants you to invest money with them. They do that because they know people want to make money. People want to invest money. People want to make money with what they have. But as I think about this, investing my life into the right things is way more important than investing money. And though we all want to be financially healthy, what's way more important is what am I doing with my life? What if I had all the money that I needed, but my life was a wreck? It wouldn't really help me. In Matthew 25, we're going to look at that. We see a story about a man. And what he's going to do is he's an owner of some property. But he goes away. But he puts his different servants in charge. That's like his employees in charge of different things. You take care of this. You take care of this. You take care of this. He goes. But one day he comes back. And they have to give an account of what they did with what he gave them. And it's really a story about God and us. The story's about God has given us different things. Gifts, talents, abilities. He's given us all different things. And one day, we're going to have to face God, who gave us all these things. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do? And that's what the story is about. And this has everything to do with our spiritual maturity. I want at the end of my life to feel like my life counted. It was worth living. The world is a better place because I existed. But that's not automatic. The world isn't always a better place because you existed. Sometimes the world could be worse off because of somebody and what they did. Sometimes it'd be no difference whatsoever. The world didn't get better. The world didn't get Worse, your life just made no impact at all, no difference. That's not what I want. I want my life to count. I want my life to make a difference. I want to know that me living on earth made this world a better place, somehow, some way. 
There's seven principles for investing in your life that are seen in this passage in Matthew chapter 25. I put the verses in your notes, but the first point, and you can fill in the blank here, is ownership. The first thing we're going to see is everything that I have belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. In Psalms 24 verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything. Everything I have. He made it all. We get to use it. In the story, everything that the owner gave to the people, it belonged to him. But they were responsible for investing it. They were responsible for using it and managing it well. Here's how the story goes. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. They're saying, what's the kingdom of heaven like, Jesus? And he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So that's what, the, that's what heaven's like, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's like God's going away and he's entrusting us with certain things. Circle his, his. Because whose property is it? It's the master's. See, we make a mistake of thinking that car I drive is mine. The money I have is mine. We think it's all ours, you know. But what the Bible is saying is everything belongs to God. You're just using it. You use it for a while, then you pass on and somebody else takes it. You know, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul because you can't take it with you. So you're just using it for now. And God's allowed you to use different things for now. And the idea is, what are we doing with what we're using? The second thing that we see is allocation. The blank is, God has given me some talents. God has given me some talents. The word talents, that's where we get the word talent from. Even though in the Bible days that word talent meant a measurement of money. Okay? But today we use it to mean you know, gifts that we have and stuff. So uh, the, the meaning of the word is a little bit different. But God gives every person talents. God gives every person resources. Everybody has opportunities. Nobody has, you know, we all have something. In Matthew 25, verse 15, it says, To one he gave five talents of money, to another he gave two talents, and to another one, each according to his, bil- his ability. There's some lessons that we see here. The Constitution says all men are created equal. It's not true. It's not true. There are some people here that have more gifts than other people. There are some people here that were born with more resources available to you than other people. There are some people in this room that were born with more opportunities available to you than others, you know, and some of those things could be affected by your gender. It could. Some of those things could be affected by your race in a country that shouldn't be racist, but I'm just telling you the truth, okay? So the ideal, we want to believe that all men are equal, uh, created equal, but, you know, some kids are born in a family with a lot of money. Other kids aren't. We're born in America, we're not born in Haiti. There's a difference. If you were born in Haiti, 
the resources available to you would be less. Okay? So, we all come with different backgrounds, different resources. We all come from a different situation. We don't, we're not all the same. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say, I gave this guy three talents of money. I gave this guy three talents of money. I gave this guy three talents of money. He wanted to be clear that things on earth aren't always fair. That every, some people have more advantage than others. It's just the reality of life. But it doesn't change the fact that no matter what I have, I can take what I have and make the best of what God's given me. See, I can't be the best you. I can't just be, I just can't be the best you because my situation is different. But I can be the best me. I can take whatever God gives me and be the best me that I can be. And I think that's why I honor God. Don't worry if that person has more than you or less than you or whatever. Just be the best you that you can be. Then you can have success. So there's a lot of things that are different in the world, but God wants us to use what we have in the right way. Look at Romans 12, 6. We each have been given different gifts according to the grace given us. God pours out grace on us, but he pours it out differently. It's different, but he pours out grace nevertheless. So we all have these different gifts that God's given us. We all have different resources, different backgrounds, different education, different experience. It makes us unique. When someone says, you're one in a million, that's not really true. You're one in six or seven billion. Because everybody, when you look at your background, your gifts and talents, your personality type, how many resources you have, your education, everybody's different. You are unique, and only you can be you. And only you can fulfill the purpose in life that you're supposed to fulfill. It's impossible for me to fulfill your purpose. It's impossible for you to fulfill my purpose. But I can be what God wants me to be. And if I'm not, I think it hurts everybody else. If you're not who God wants you to be, it hurts everybody else. We're accountable to one another. So I need to use my gifts and my talents to the best of my ability for good. And you as well. People can use their gifts and talents for bad or for good. I've seen gifted people do really bad things with their gifts. So you want to be able to use your brain in a good way. You know, I've seen people that are really smart use their brain in a bad way to, to do things illegal and make some money. Their giftedness was there. It doesn't mean they used it for the good. So we want to use it for good. The third thing is accountability. Accountability. God expects me to use my talent. He expects it. He made an investment in me. He made an investment in you, and he wants a return. He wants the investment that he made in you to shine, to come out. Like, well, he can say, good job. You did well. What I invested in you paid off. Look at Matthew 25, 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So the master returned and said, okay, I'm going to do an audit on how you did. You know, how did things go? One day, we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, what did you do? What did you do with the gifts, the talents, the resources, the education, just all those things that you have? What did you do with it? 
In Romans 14, 12, it says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So someday we, we stand before God and we give an account of what we've done. This isn't talking about salvation. This isn't talking about salvation. It's talking about what did you do with your life? See, we're clear in the Bible what salvation is. We as humans, we don't have the ability to reach God. We just don't have the ability to do it. So our faith is in Jesus Christ. He's reached us. I'm not perfect. How, how in my right mind could I ever think I could reach God? My trust is that when God came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, and he willingly died on the cross to pay off the penalty of our sin, based on what he did, he forgave us. I said, I pay, he paid for that. Whatever you've done wrong, he's paid for it. So our faith is in, we go to heaven because of what God did for us. I'd, I'd never be good enough to reach God, but he reaches us to what he did on the cross. So our faith is in that. But this is about, okay, we've got a relationship with God. Now, what did you do with your life? It's not about heaven or hell, because you stand before God. You're in heaven, but it's like, what did you do with your life? What did you do? Did you waste it? Number four, utilization. It's wrong to bury my talents. It's wrong to bury my talents. In other words, it's wrong not to use the good things that God's given you for good. You know, use your life. Let your life count. In Matthew 25, 16, we're going to compare three different men here. The first man, it says this, the man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. That's good. That's a good investment. He doubled his money. In other words, he took whatever the resources he had and worked them as best as he could and doubled it. Whatever those resources, your education, like I took my education and I really worked it. And because of that, I was able to do this and this, whatever your resource is. It could be money. It could be your personality type. It's, we have so many things. It could be a past experience. That, that It could be a negative past experience that you use for the good. I lost my child. It broke my heart. And it changed me forever. And I started an outreach to couples that lost their children. And I helped them through that process because I know what I went through. And that person took a negative experience that like, just devastated them and brought healing into couple after couple after couple who lost a child. So it's that type of thing. It could be anything, but you use it for God. You, you, you don't waste it. So this person took whatever their gifts and talents was, whatever it was, and worked it and doubled it. They had a good investment back. Then in Matthew uh, 25, 17, we see the second man. It says, so also the one with two talents gained two more. So he also doubled his money. Whatever God gave him, whatever resources he had, he put it to work. He used it, and things were better. You know how I said I want my life to be better? You know, I want the world to be better as a result of me being here. These guys were using what they were given, and things were getting better, not worse. And then there's a third man. And this is scary because this is easy for Christians to love God but not really do anything with their life. And it says this in Matthew 25, 18. The third man. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He buried it. He did nothing. 
It's like, I want to play it safe. I don't want to risk losing what the master gave me. So I'm just not going to do anything with it. Or it could be like, well, they have more than me. I don't have anything. My gifts and talents aren't important. So I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to bear you. You know, because I don't feel like I have as much as you have. It could be all kinds of things going through his mind. But here's the master's reaction in verse 26. His master said, you wicked, lazy servant. He was upset. Why? Because God gives you things. And you don't use it? You don't use it? What if you had a great musical ability? That's a gift from God. And you don't use it? I said, no, use it. Use what I'm giving you. Make a difference in the world. Do you know, you could have music ability and impact hearts and lives without ever writing a Christian song. Without ever writing a Christian song. Because there's a lot of songs, the words that are in the song could still be morally good and encouraging and, and lifting people up. See, sometimes we think that we have to Christianize it. Well, sometimes you do. Sometimes God puts that on your heart and you, and you need to write a Christian song. Okay, I'm not saying that. But I'm just trying to say is sometimes people want to put you in a box and say, for God to use you in a great way, you have to fit in this box. I'm saying, no, you don't. But you do have to do what God is telling you to do. What you really in your heart feel like would honor God. But it doesn't have to fit the box that somebody else says it needs to fit. So he's upset. I know I always, because I'm in the middle of wrestling season, I can't get through with a sermon without seeing something to do with me coaching. Because I have certain kids that are so gifted, and I just can't get them to put the effort in to make a difference. Because they would be, and I have other kids that aren't as gifted, but they work so hard. And who do you think ends up doing the best? And I think, this kid's not even that gifted. Look at how good he's starting to do. And this kid that has everything going for him, he could be the star of the team. I just can't get him to put an effort in. And you know what? I want to say, you wicked, lazy athlete. <laughs> I want to say that to them because it's so depressing to see they have. I, like, I wish I had his gift and talents when I was in high school. Man, that would have made a difference. But, you know, some people... They could have been used for something good, but they were lazy. They called them wicked because they had something. See, we sometimes don't know that the sin of inactivity is a sin. Because we say like this, I've not done anything wrong, but the fact that you've not done anything is wrong. And we have to remember that. The fact that I have not done anything, that's wrong in and of itself. Matthew 27, 25, 27 says, you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I'd have received it back with interest. You could have at least put it in the bank. Just did something. You didn't try anything with what I gave you. With your gifts, your talents, you just buried them. You, you, you waste it. And in this sense, because the story is really about us. And it's like, you wasted your life. You wasted your life. Why? You could have done something. I gave you gifts. I gave you talents. Well, you only gave me one. You gave him five. Of course he did well. What we don't realize is when you take whatever one talent you start with 
and you use it, soon it becomes two. And then you start using it, and soon it becomes four. The thing about it is, if you use the gifts and talents that you have, it starts to increase. It starts to make a difference. At the beginning, you'll realize that it said, he gave to each one according to their ability. That person that he gave five to, he probably was a one in the past. But he worked it. He used it. So he gave according to their ability. God's not wanting you to do what somebody else does. Just do what you have the ability to do. But playing it safe and doing nothing is not godly. It's better to go out there and try. See, I would rather try to do something with my life and fail than have guaranteed failure because I never try. Because that is a guaranteed failure, right? If I don't at least try, it's guaranteed. I'd rather attempt something great and end up with nothing than to do nothing at all. So he's saying, try. Go for it. Don't sit on the sidelines. And you don't have to be a superstar. Just do the best you can with what God's given you. Don't just sit on it. Don't just think later. Use your life in a way that's going to count. I met too many people that can do great things if they're willing. God wants to use their life more than they're willing to be used. So, I need the Bible to grow. I do. I need a good, healthy prayer life to grow. I need that. I need Christian friends and that encouragement to grow. I need that. But to grow, I need to be stretched. I need to be stretched. You don't grow if you're not stretched. If you're not, you know, trying to do something uh, that you can't do. It takes zero faith for me to attempt something I know I can do. So I don't grow. If you already know you can do it, there's no growth involved. Growth comes when I feel like I already know I can do that. So my goal is going to be to double that. Now, you might not reach that goal of doubling it, but I bet you you'll go beyond what you thought you could. That's when you grow because now you're stretching farther than what you would have even tried before. But it takes faith to do that because you know you can't do it, but you're going to try, and you're just trusting that somehow, some way, God's going to help you. Because if you know you can't do it, you've got to rely on a power greater than you. If you know you can do it, you don't have to rely on God at all. Zero growth. But I can't do that, but I'm going to try. God, it's only going to happen if you allow it to happen. That's how faith works. That's why people that have faith, they can do so much more. They can accomplish things that other people don't because they somehow believe in the impossible. They believe well, somehow, some way it can happen. I'm going to at least try. You have to try. So why do people play it safe? Here's a motivation. Fear, number five, fear keeps me from developing my talents. It's fear. Fear will hold you back from being what God wants you to be. In Matthew 25, 26, it says, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. For that feeling, fear keeps me from developing my talents. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Circle afraid. I think there's three kinds of fear that hold us back. One is self-doubt. You know, I could never do that. I'm not qualified. Or what if I fell? 
you know, I don't want to get out there and fail. Have you ever been, you remember when you were a kid at school and the teacher asked a question and you know the answer, but you have a little self-doubt, so you're afraid to raise your hand and try it? Because what if I end up looking dumb? I'm going to tell you something about success in the, in the world. If you're not willing to look dumb, you will be a failure. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But if you want to be successful, you're going to get yourself out there in front of people, and I'm going to promise you this. There's going to be several times that you're going to look dumb. It's going to happen. You have to just face it. You mean like for me to be... There's no way for me to be a success without looking dumb. There is no way for you to be a success without looking dumb. Because there are going to be some things that you're going to try and it's going to look dumb and it's actually going to be dumb. <laughs> you're going to think, oh, and, and you're going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. But you're going to do some other things that look dumb. People are going to say, and it's going to succeed. And people are going to think, wow, I would have never thought that. And you're going to be a genius. They start off calling you dumb, but now they call you a genius. Like, oh, that guy's a genius. I mean, I, who would have ever thought that worked? But I promise you, if you want to be successful, you have to be willing to look dumb. Let me put it this way. If looking dumb prevents you from trying, you'll never be successful at anything. You'll just do what you can already do. You won't stretch. You won't grow, for sure. A second thing that we do is self-pity. Like, you know, I tried in the past, and it failed. I blew it. I'm never going to do it again. Failure always tends to have two types of responses to failure. It makes you bitter or it makes you better. And I think in the Bible about Judas and Peter, both of them denied Christ in different ways. Both of them were re rejecting Christ in different ways. What it says as you read the story about Judas is he felt so much guilt about what he did that he went out and committed suicide. Okay, that was his response. Peter, it says, he felt so much guilt about what he did that he asked God to forgive him. <laughs> it's vastly different, right? They were both guilty of the same type of thing. They're both guilty of rejecting Christ. They're both in trouble for what they did, you would think, you know. One person feels so guilty they kill themselves. The other person feels so guilty that they ask God to forgive them. To me, that's an easy choice. Okay, if I feel guilty, suicide's not my option. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. Easy answer. Judas committed suicide. Not everybody is taking the easy answer. Some people can't forgive themselves. You know what happened with Peter? Uh, ask God to forgive him. Who do you think became the leader of the church? Peter, the guy that was guilty. Not John, who never did something like that. But Peter, who was the first person in the Christian church to, that it's written that stood up and preached to a crowd? Peter. And check this out. It says 3,000 people got saved on that day and baptized on that one day. I've never preached to a group of people and got 3,000 people saved and baptized in one day. You know, maybe three, but not 3,000, you know. So I'm just telling you, your life is never ruined. See, Judas committed suicide. He felt guilt. And I think he believed his life was ruined. 
because otherwise you wouldn't do that. Peter sought forgiveness. Your life is never ruined. I think of it like I read these stories about Moses and all the great things that he did, and I forget that 40 years before that time that God started using his life in a great way, he murdered that Egyptian, remember, and ran away. He murdered somebody. It took him 40 years before he got his life to a point that God could really use him. Unfortunately, it took him that long to get there. But can you imagine that? We forget that Moses was a murderer. And when we're reading all the, like a lot of the songs that we sing, they come from the Psalms, and they're beautiful songs that whoever wrote these songs, you know, really has a heart for God. And then sometimes I forget that King David wrote most of those songs, and he was the one that committed adultery and caused all that havoc in this country. I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know what this tells me? Is no matter what you've done, no matter how guilty you feel, go to God, honestly seek forgiveness, and he'll use you for greatness. God wants to use you for greatness. And if he didn't do that, he would never use anybody because we're all messed up. None of us are perfect. We all blow it. Praise God he's willing to use us in spite of ourselves. The other thing is, what will other people think? If you're too worried about what other people think, it's going to mess you up. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare. It's a snare when you're afraid of what everybody else thinks. If we're asking the right question, what would God think? Then we're going to do the right thing because sometimes to do the right thing, you have to go against what your friends want. Some things, sometimes to do the right thing, you have to go against what your family wants. You know, the thing is, what does God think? What, the, what would God want me to do in this situation? We can't be thinking, if I had their ability, of course I'd do it. If, you know, if I could sing like them, of course I would do it. If I had that type of time on my hand, of course I would do it. If I had their resources, of course I would do it. Everybody in this room has the ability to talk themselves out of making a life of impact. We all have that ability to talk ourselves out of it, to justify it. That's what he does. That's what this guy does. He justifies his inactivity. In Matthew 25, 24, he says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. He's making up these excuses of why he did what he did. Say, the reason I did it is I knew you were a hard man, so I didn't want to take a risk of losing it. I know that you, you know, he comes, he's trying to justify his position. And what I'm trying to say is, every one of us has the ability to justify why my life is not making an impact today. We all can do that. He did, I can do that too. We can all make excuses and not do it today. And we can make even excuses, I'll take care of that later. Later's not promised. Today is promised. You're here today. We want, God wants to make a difference in your life every day. Number six is application. If I don't use it, I lose it. In Matthew 25, 28, it says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the more somebody has, they start getting more and more and more and more. And the less somebody has, they sometimes get less and less and less. It could be because I'm not using what I do have. 
I'm looking at everybody else and say, well, of course I can't do anything because I don't have this. Of course I can't do anything. I don't have that. Well, then they're guaranteed you're not going to do anything. Or I can say, they have more advantages than me, but I'm going to take what I do have. I'm going to take the education that I do have, however far it went. I'm going to take the money I do have, whatever I have or don't have. I'm going to take the gifts and talents I do have. Whatever I do have, I'm going to do the best I can. And you'll be amazed at what can happen in your life. There's a God factor involved, and God, I think, steps in, and I think you're going to see some great things happen. But I'm not going to be someone that sits on the side and says, well, I, of course I can't do that because I don't have this or I don't have that. I'm just going to use what God's given me and do the best that I can in those circumstances. Here's something that sounds weird, but I found this over and over again. What do you need? Like when someone says, I need energy, the, this solution that people say is, okay, start exercising. Wait, 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 did you hear what I just said? I need energy. I wouldn't be in this situation if I had enough energy to exercise. They say the answer to your problem is exercise. You mean using energy is what I need to have energy? And what happens is when people start exercising on a regular uh, basis, their energy level goes up, and now they have to have more energy than, the, than they ever had before. So use what I want, and, that, and I get more? It sounds weird, but that's exactly how your body works. Sometimes it could be time. I don't have enough time, you know, in the day. It doesn't make sense what I'm going to tell you, but I, I know from personal experience. Then get up about an hour earlier every day and start reading your Bible and praying and watch what happens. And there's something about, well, I don't have time. You get up an hour earlier, you start reading your Bible, you start praying, and you start using your time wiser. That first hour of the day, you're thinking th through things more. And you start making better choices, and you start saying, well, for me to get up an hour early, I'm going to have to get something else out of my life. And you start cutting out some things that don't need to be there. And all of a sudden, you have the time to do everything that you needed to get done that you never had before. That's my life. I probably get a lot more things done than most people, but it has everything to do with my time with God. It's taking that time out. It's, it's amazing what that would do for your life. Even things like financially, God... I need more finances right now. When you take your money and you find somebody that's hurting more than you are, and you say, you know what? I don't have money right now. I'm struggling, but they're worse off than me. And you kind of help them out. I don't know how it works. But I think when you take care of God's people, God takes care of you. When you take care of the least of people, when I say God's people, they might not know God, but God sees their suffering. And you take care of them, it's amazing how God finds ways to get you what you need. Mathematically, it is, it's not good math. It's not good math to say, I don't have the money right now because I'm struggling so much, but I'm going to sponsor a child for $38 a month. But what will happen is you'll not miss that $38 a month, but somewhere in the world there's a child that now has a life. And in fact, you're going to find that bad math works because somehow God's going to bless you financially. Financially, I've seen this over and over again. I'm not saying that God's calling you to take all your money and give it to the poor. But what I am saying is we think the opposite. We get so self-centered when we need, like, I don't have enough money to pay my own bills. But when you stretch and you help somebody that's worse off than you, it's amazing how God works out your details. 
I've seen this over and over in my life and in the life of other people. Number seven, compensation. If I use it, I'll be rewarded. Matthew 25, 23. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There's a threefold reward here. First is affirmation. He's saying, well done. What I'm trying to say is, I want God to say, well done, good job. I want when I stand before God and when you stand before God, he looks at you and he says, good job, good job. My question is, based on how you're living your life, can he say that? Can he say that based on how you're living your life now? Are you living your life in a way that you're trying to live a life that's making a positive impact in the world? Or you're just living for yourself and you don't care? Can he really say, good job? My goal is that everybody in this room, God would say, good job. Good job. Don't worry about the past if you haven't been living that way. But you can make a change today. You can say to yourself, you know what? God would probably not say good job to me. He, he would say, you basically did nothing. Maybe that's how you feel. And then you say, well, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to make the rest of my days the best of my days. I might not have done that, but now I will. God, I'm going to make you proud of me. He loves you. He loves you, but it doesn't mean I've done anything to make him proud of me. Promotion is the next thing. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. I always found this to be a mind-boggling how God looks at our life on earth, and somehow when we get to heaven, based on what we did on earth, there's some sort of promotion. Like, I'm going to put you in charge of bigger things. Because at this point, he's already with the master. So things in heaven, you know, I don't know how that works. It's hard for me to understand heaven. You know, I read things about it in the Bible, but I still don't quite understand what that's like because it's vague to me, a lot of it. And, uh, but somehow we get promoted. I want God, because it seems like there's a promotion, I want God to want to promote me in heaven. Like, you did a great job. I'm going to promote you. And then celebration. It says, come and share your master's happiness. They're having a party. I want to live the type of life that when I get to heaven or when you get to heaven, I want you to live the type of life that they're like, let's have a party here. This is somebody that's really done, done something. And it's not going to be compared to Mother Teresa. Whew, because then it's like we all lost, right? It's not going to be compared to Mother Teresa. It's going to be like, I'm gonna, God's going to say, I'm going to look at your gifts your talents, what you have, and use it for me. Use it for me. And when you get to heaven, we're going to have a big celebration. There's a big party. This is a man that used his gifts and talents for me. This is a woman that used her gifts and talents for me. And it's a big party. Let's celebrate. I don't understand everything about heaven. But it seems pretty clear that that's what this is saying, that there's some sort of celebration that goes on simply because we took what God's given us and used it for good. You know, the word miser is where we get the word miserable from. And a miser is someone that holds on to everything they have, you know, and we get the word miserable. Why? Have you ever met someone that's a miser? They're the most miserable people that you can find. They look miserable. They act miserable. They don't have friends because you don't build friendships by being an ungiving person. You look at the happiest people that you ever find, and they're giving people. They're giving. They're sharing. They're loving. They give love. 
They, they always sometimes give money if you need it. They'll give you their time and spend time with you. But they, they're giving, and they're happy. They're excited. If you say, I haven't been happy so much recently, I'm going to ask you, are you giving? Are you giving? Are you willing to give your time for somebody? Are you willing to give your energy for somebody, your money for somebody, your gifts and talent for somebody? There are people that are really hurting. And through your giving, you can build a lot of love in the world. You can really make this place a better place. In Matthew 6, 20, it says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are you doing that? You know, you grow in your Christian life when you're making an eternal difference with what you have. Like anytime you have a resource and you're making an internal difference, you know, it's anything. I've got a car and my friend, they might not know God. They might not know anything about God. But they need a ride to the hospital. And without them asking me, I offer, hey, I can give you a ride. When you, and then they say, well, I need to go. You don't understand. I need to go every other week on Tuesday mornings. They say, you know, I'll do that. That's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice every Tuesday, every other Tuesday morning, going and giving someone a ride to the doctor. You know, that's a sacrifice. But you say, like, they say, I have to be there by a certain time. The bus isn't going at that time. I can always get the bus back. But I'm just desperate. How am I going to get there? Well, I'll give you a ride every Tuesday morning. And you get up an hour early, not because you need to, but because you're going to give them a ride every Tuesday morning. That's a sacrifice. That's love. That's making the world a better place. That's making an eternal difference. And I bet you, if you did that, I bet you that person, because you're driving them every day, you're going to talk to them more, they're going to find out you're a Christian, and they're going to probably be way more open to God. You know what the problem with Christianity is? The way that Christianity presents itself, everybody knows that we're against a lot of stuff. <laughs> Christians are against this, they're against that, they're against this, they're against that. They don't know what we're for. I don't talk too much about what we're against. You know what? Because if we're doing what we're for, we don't have time to do what we're against. I don't spend a lot of time saying, don't go out and use drugs and start getting drunk. And, you know, I don't really talk that much. I spend the, the time talking about how to live the life. And if you're living for God, you're not going to have time to do that other stuff anyway. I want people to know what we're for. That's way more of a positive message you know, what are we for? We're for loving God and we're for loving you. And it shows by how we do it. So I want you to ask yourself this morning about your talents, you know, your abilities. Am I using them for God? Am I using them for good? And if not, how can I? Or your time. Do I use my time for God? Do I use my time for good? And what do I need to change so that I could do that? Or your treasure, your money. Do I use my money for good? Do I use my money for God? Or do I just use it for me? You know, how, what can I do to change these type of things? Your life will make an eternal impact if you use your time, you know, for God, your talents for God, your treasure for God. If you use your life for God, it's going to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. And then you just have to figure out how's the best way for you to do that. How's the best way for you to do it? One of the things I loved about the Christmas gift is we're asking everybody in the church to give a Christmas gift to God. You know, it's Jesus' birthday. And I heard so many things, like people tell me what they did, like, uh, like I told you how I sponsor a child, you know, and that type of thing. But uh, people knew of a person that was having some financial difficulty, 
and they gave a check to the church, and the church was able to go and help them out. But, you know, uh, people, it, it was exciting as people were sharing me different things that they were doing, and I thought, like, wow, but that's Christianity, but not just on Christmas, but that's just real Christianity, is just living the life that you see somebody and you try to help them. You really try to help them. And that's the type of life that I want us to live. That's the type of life that stretches us. That's the type of life that builds maturity. So I read the Bible, and it helps me to grow. I have a healthy prayer life. It helps me to grow. I get good Christian friendships that helps me to grow. And I use my time, my talent, my treasure for God, and it stretches you, and it helps you to grow. And as a result, if you, if you make those things a habit over the next year, we start this with the idea of New Year's resolution, you know, because of January. If you do those things over the year, I can guarantee you by next January, you're going to say, I feel like I'm a, my, my Christian maturity is so much more than what it was before. Guaranteed. Because you can't live that type of life and not mature. And my dream is that we're the most mature Christians that we can be not perfect because we're never going to be perfect, but we can grow. We can, we can be more mature this year or next year than we were this year. That's my goal for me and my hope for everybody here. With that, let's pray. Father, we want to make the rest of our life count for eternity. We want to make the rest of our life the best of our life. Whether we have five years or 50 years, Lord, we want to invest our time in eternal things, our talents into eternal things, our treasure into eternal things, things that are going to make a difference in people's lives, things that are going to draw them to you, things that even open up the door for us to tell them about you and your great love for them. Lord, we want a life that makes a difference. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and that we commit to these things. Amen.